Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. This is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. One of the things that that got me thinking about this passage was, as we go through 1 Timothy, um, Paul is imprisoned. Uh, as he, or as we go through 2 Timothy now, and Paul is imprisoned as he writes that letter, and he was imprisoned earlier. And Colossians is is one of those letters that was written from, I believe, from Paul's earlier imprisonment when he was imprisoned. This is the imprisonment that we read of at the end of the book of Acts, where Paul is in Rome and he's imprisoned uh, by house imprisonment. And... Um, much of this letter of Colossians is an exhortation not to go after false teachers who wanted uh, them to add philosophy or add asceticism or, or the teachings of men to the teachings of Jesus. He speaks of Jesus Christ and his glories and what faith in him looks like in this book. Jesus alone is all that is needed, is one of the main points that he says, um, is, is the only one who can save He's been preaching the gospel to the Colossian Christians who are being afflicted by these false teachers who are, who are present in every generation, uh, who are the favorite tools of Satan in every age. Remember this, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from house imprisonment in Rome. Those opponents of the gospel, think, think of this, the opponents of the gospel are free to roam about wherever they want, preaching whatever they want, opposing whatever they want, and whatever... Uh, with whatever words they choose. And the Apostle Paul, the one God called to spread his word among the Gentiles, is guarded by Roman soldiers and isolated. He's, he's off by himself, and these false teachers are roaming about freely. Now, if it were you and I and our freedom was taken away from us, we would close up shop. Right? We would, we would um, be tempted to mope and feel great uh, self-pity and anxiety. We would perhaps hunker down and, and, you know, I've been through a lot. Paul's been, you know, what, what things has he been through up to this point? Um, it's an astonishing list of, of sufferings. And we'd be like, well, perhaps it's time that I just hang it up. And uh, this would be our temptation, and it's born of a world where uh, we see no good in suffering, right? Where Where we orient our lives around minimizing suffering. And, um, 
I mean, this world that we live in, this culture, American culture particularly, tells us to play the victim. I mean, we have people sue McDonald's because they burn themselves with a cup of coffee, right? The ultimate in victimhood. Um, So many people, though not imprisoned physically, are imprisoned spiritually and emotionally and, and, um, and, 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 and trapped by victimhood. There are many ways to be imprisoned that go beyond just being imprisoned in space, in, imprisoned physically, right? Our moods. Have you ever been in, imprisoned by your own moods? Right? I have. I was this morning. I mean... I have to lead the people of God in worship, and I just wanted to crawl under a rock this morning. You know? And, and, I, and so I was imprisoned by my mood until I prayed to God and fought against that. Uh, our reputations can become a prison, can't they? Our reputations that precede us. Um, what expectations that people have for us. Our past behaviors can become a prison for us the consequences of past behaviors. Our poverty or our riches can become a prison. Our diseases and aches and pains can become a prison, right? How many of you have have lost freedom because of the aches and pains and the diseases and the, the, um, the, the diminishment of your, your body? Our personalities can become a prison, can't they? Our, our old personalities, we like to call it our personalities, but it may just be our, our propensities to uh, sin in a particular direction. Our worries can become a prison. Our successes and failures become a prison. We begin uh, orienting our life around one success or one failure that we've had, and it becomes the defining principle of our lives. Chronic, um, our chronic Loyal, I mean, our loyalties, the things we're loyal to become prisons. If they're, if they're not God and godliness, then they're, uh, they're entrapments. Our chronic disloyalty can become a prison as well. Our upbringing can become a prison. You know, our, our, uh, the woe is me because, you know, mama was never nice to me uh, can become a prison. Some of those prisons, those things that dictate to us all of our other actions are sin. Some, though, are not. They're just merely the circumstances that God has placed us in. Like your reputation or, well, that could be sin. That could be built on your sin. But um, your, your, your aches and pains, right? Your aches and pains given to you by God, certainly those can come by your sins, but also they can come from the hand of the Lord. These are not, not necessarily sins you commit, but merely circumstances within which God places you. We can become quite discontent with those circumstances, can't we? We think God desires to afflict his children and that his love is far from us at times. We think that God's desire is to afflict us. We've been trained to allow each of those things that I'm calling prisons to become an excuse. They become excuses for our laziness or for our lack of zeal or for our loose commitments. For example, we don't, 
We don't witness to our neighbors because we're locked up in the prison of our own self-centeredness or, or, or simply our own time commitments. We, just, we, don't, we won't witness because, because God has locked us up in, in busyness. So there's no time for our neighbors. Or, or we don't witness to our neighbors because we're shy. Right? Shy. So there's no confidence that the Lord could speak through us. Uh, we don't feel good, so we remove ourselves from the ministries of the church, and we sit in the prison of our depression, wondering if people care. And being in that prison, we miss the opportunity to demonstrate our zeal and our faith and our commitment to worship Him, however difficult it might be even just physically to walk into the sanctuary. You're imprisoned, and you can't be expect to be a witness of Jesus Christ. You're a mother with young children. You are imprisoned in the constant demands of motherhood. And so you can't be expected to do anything outside the sphere of, of motherhood. Um, you're imprisoned by all kinds of debts. You can't be expected then to contribute to the church. You're imprisoned. Um, it doesn't take long for you to share with others just exactly how you are imprisoned. Right? That's often what will lead conversations off with. You know, I, I'm in prison because I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. So don't expect too much from me. Right? Paul is literally imprisoned. Right? Unable to move about freely. Yet, here he is plowing ahead as if he were free. Right? He's just plowing ahead asking that, that he would be given an opportunity to share the gospel where he's at. And so he asked the Colossian church to pray for him and his companions. Notice specifically how he prays that God would open what he asked for, that God would open up to us a door for the word. He's imprisoned. There's not much he can do. And here he is saying, you know, pray that God will give us a door for the word. Interesting way to put it when you're sitting behind, uh, sitting behind guards. But he's not praying that God would... Notice what he's not doing. He's not praying at this moment that God would change his circumstances. He's, he does not ask that God will open the door of the prison that I might be free to preach the word. He's content with his circumstances, as you remember. right? He, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we remember those, those words from the Apostle Paul. He's imprisoned, yet he has not lost his calling. He's, he's, he is, so to speak, a mother with small kids and yet gives herself to serve even more beyond those children. Right? He's a sick man, perhaps literally with that thorn in his flesh, and, and does not remove himself from the work of the church. God has placed him in that prison, has not, by that placement, reworked his calling to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So, so often, brothers and sisters, we're, we're focused on praying about our prisons rather than praying that God would allow, allow us to carry on our calling to be salt and light, right? 
I mean, come to a prayer meeting and you'll, you'll hear what people's prisons are. You'll hear what their aches and pains are. You'll hear what's, what aches and pains are of, uh, of aunts and uncles. You'll hear about losses of jobs and, and, and all these other things. And, and you know what? God knows about the prisons that he has put you in, the aches and pains, the malfunctioning of this and that, the personality quirks, the financial difficulties, the ongoing consequences of the sins of your youth. And he says, get on with your life. He says, get on with it. Get on with your work. You don't have an excuse not to get on with your witness. He he teaches us that it is by persevering through these trials that come to us that we will have any sort of witness in the first place. Right? So often we pray about our prisons rather than accepting them. And then praying that we will be able to do what we think we can't do because we're, we're locked up, right? We pray about our prisons, heal this, fix this, lift this burden, make my kidneys work, right? Make, make me uh, more winsome, make me prosper. Then, Lord, I will be useful to you. Christians should not think that way. Christians should never think that way. When Jesus converted the Apostle Paul, Ananias was given the task of healing the Apostle Paul's blind eyes. Ananias is worried because he knows about Saul, so God gives him this explanation. This is the explanation that that Ananias receives about Paul. Go, for Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name among before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must preach, how much he must teach, how much he must build his ministry, how much he must fly from here to there and give conferences, and no, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, that doesn't seem like very successful ministry today, right? He calls a man and says, you know what? He's going to suffer for my namesake. And we think, what a waste. The Apostle Paul's calling was to suffer. It was to suffer. The imprisonment was part of that suffering. Now the Apostle Paul fell into the same trap as, you know, that, that we do. He prayed that the imprisonment would be taken away, right? Second um, Corinthians 12, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Right? Why did Paul receive that thorn in the flesh? Because he had been lifted into the, the third heaven. Right? And, and that, that could possibly mean the, the very presence of God. He's lifted up into that, and he was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him low. Right? There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. There's Paul praying for his prison. Three times? Three times is, that's not a lot, right? Three times? How many times have you prayed for your knees? hundred times? A thousand times? Right? God taught him that he had given him those afflictions 
And he should cease to pray that they would be gone. He said, you know, cease praying about these. That's what God comes to him and says. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, Paul goes on, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? He, he's like, these things are the bomb. Weaknesses, distresses. What power when someone preaches, though, being imprisoned? What power when someone sings joyous praises even when depressed? Right? What power when someone serves even after having served all day long? What power when someone shares even though they're shy? Right? There's power when someone glories in the forgiveness even though, even though the, the a notorious sinner themselves, the life of the party. What power when someone gives though they have nothing else, like the woman who gave her two copper coins. She was imprisoned in her poverty and gave more than the richest of, of the rich. And, and that, that was the very strength of her witness. That was the very strength of her witness. Right? You see, your witness is not on hold until difficulties are erased. Your witness only begins when the difficulties come from God's hand. That is precisely why God has put you in those prisons, so that you might give him glory. The Christian sings in the midst of battle, right? The Christian considers a great joy when, when he realizes his time on this earth is short. The Christian delights to serve when, when absolutely wasted with tiredness. Right? The Christian is satisfied with giving the last two bennies in order to be forced to rely upon God. So, again, my question for you is this. What, what do you need to stop praying for? What do you need to stop praying for? Why are you praying to be out of your prison when God has put you there that you might be his witness? Right here again was the Apostle Paul's view of his imprisonment from 2 Timothy. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. Right? He endures all this stuff for the sake of his calling to the Gentiles, those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now that's it. God has given, has given you, has put you in a sort of prison that you might have a witness. You might have a witness. Are you making the most of it? Or are you considering it um, a privilege, or are you praying for God to take away the things, the very thing that just might prove to be 
the means of your powerful witness bringing salvation to somebody else. Right? If you had all comfort, your witness will be nothing. Right? Paul, if he just went from one conference to the next, being applauded and given a $10,000 check at the end of it, would have no witness. But his witness was powerful because he went from one city to the next, being stoned by the Jews and cast out of the city to the next and suffering shipwreck. Right? That was the... And, and yet he's... I mean, it's as, it's as Job said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. For Paul, it's though he slay me, yet I will continue to preach him. Calvin says, as we have a signal example of modesty in the circumstances that Paul calls others to his assistance, so we are also admonished that it is a thing that is replete with the greatest difficulty to persevere steadfastly in the defense of the gospel and especially when danger presses. For it is not without cause that he desires that the churches may assist him in this matter. Consider, too, at the same time his amazing zeal. He's not solicitous as to his own safety. He does not ask that prayers may be poured forth by the church on his behalf, that he may be delivered from the danger of death. He's content with this one thing, that he may, he may unconquered and undaunted, persevere in a confession of the gospel. Nay more, he fearlessly makes his own life a secondary matter as compared with the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel. Those of us who are not suffering should be jealous of those who are suffering. Those of us who are not suffering have little opportunity to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. All those who are not suffering, all those who are not suffering, they just have their words. That's all they have. But they don't have their faith in the midst of suffering. Those who are suffering have a witness, faith lived, an opportunity to show a mind set on the things above rather than the things of the earth. Those who are suffering have great credibility and integrity in their faith. Those who are not suffering, they just have their words. Should you seek out suffering? Well, yes, of course. Of course. You should seek out suffering. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You should seek out suffering. That's what it means to take up a cross, right? See if God doesn't give you the strength you have wanted when you persevere through your trials, when you use them as opportunities to glorify him, when you sing, when the world tells you to be a victim, Right When you rejoice and, the, and, and everybody's telling you, you should hang your head. You're a victim. You've been sore. You've been sick for so long. You've been impressed by so many people. Right? Forget about victimhood. Let's boast in our weakness. Forget about our comfort. Let's consider it all joy when we consider... When, when we encounter various trials, forget about being uh, shocked and depressed at bad news. Let's not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among us which comes upon us for our testing. Forget about depression. To the degree that we share the sufferings of Christ, let us keep rejoicing. Forget about fixing our happiness on this world. Let us look at the things that are not seen, that are eternal, 
Sell all you own and give your proceeds to the poor. Put your last copper pennies in the offering plate. Have your friends bust a hole in the roof to lower you down on a pallet so you can be in the presence of Jesus. Preach the gospel when in prison. Preach the gospel in prison. Preach the gospel from your own individual prisons. Ask yourself how God would have you use your imprisonment. And and again, I'm using that as a metaphor for your difficulties, your circumstances, your situations, right? How would God have you use those difficulties for his glory? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. All of you, all of you, I know, I know intensely, all of you are being given opportunities to glorify God radically, but it is not where you think it is. It is not where you are successful. It's not where you are the expert. It's where you are suffering. It's, it's where you are imprisoned. It is as Jesus suffered, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. His humiliation, his suffering, his death is the very path by which his father received greatest glory, right? It is the path he followed and the path we are called to follow as well. Will you witness from your prison? Or will you delay your witness until God has calmed every storm, has soothed every ache, has filled your bank account with what is more than adequate? Is that when you'll do your best work for God and his kingdom? No, to wait for that will lead you to never, ever be a witness. And if you arrived where everything was easy, you'd be like the Israelites once they entered the land in new comfort. They forgot God. They forgot him. Right? No, witness from your prisons. It is the path of Jesus. It's the path by which you will persevere through this life, through this veil of tears, to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds to remember that there is nothing arbitrary in our lives. And that you have given us the circumstances in which we find ourselves And you expect for us to bring you great glory in those circumstances. And not just in them, but by them. And so, Father, I pray that that in our weakness we would be strong. Father, in our lack of health that we would be zealous to to work. Father, I pray that, that you would be pleased by your servants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.